Um, as the goal of this conference is to bring people together from all walks of life and within an organization, whether it's executives, managers, engineers, programmers, and designers, I think one thing is for certain. There are bound to be so many fights. <laughs> so to help us solve these fights, we have invited some very special people on board. Yes, so we are glad to have Jeffrey, um, Douglas and uh, Johan online. Welcome, all three of you. And uh, I believe this is the time when uh, we are supposed to pull out our papers and crayons, right? Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to this uh, fantastic lunch and learn session we have here where we want to turn the way we talk into the way we transform our organizations and our teams and even the way we work as individual contributors. I'm Johan and I have the extreme pleasure of being together here with uh, Jeffrey Frederick and Dr. Scroll, who are the authors of uh, Agile Conversations, a fantastic book. I still fail to bring it, but perhaps we can hand it uh, I don't know if any of you guys have, have one I copy bring it. you can show. I'm, no, ah, you didn't bring it. Excellent. Jeffrey's organized. Ah, excellent. And how we can talk about using the way we can transform our conversations to transform our culture and how we can be concrete and work with these fluffy kind of things that we have. We talk about culture. We talk about psychological safety. And last time I talked with you, I think it was you, Jeffrey, who said something along the lines of, we know that culture and psychological safety is so important. But I would like to have, uh, because I agree, but could uh, you perhaps, Jeffrey, put a few words on what is culture? When you say culture, what do you mean? When you say psychological safety, what do you mean? So we just have applied that baseline of what is it that we're trying to achieve here? Great. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'll start with culture is I kind of say is the sum total of how the people interact with each other. That is the culture of an organization is that's the culture of the team. Uh, and uh, within this, so that really covers everything. And that's why we look at conversations as the uh, key element of culture, because the, 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 the conversations are how you actually interact. Now, in a conversation, there's a lot more than the words There's all the stuff that's going on in your head. Uh, and that's where we need to do a lot of the work. But the, the, the culture is all this, the combination of all these interactions between the people. Um, and that's why we say if you can change your conversations, you also change your culture. Uh, now, within there, psychological safety is a, is a topic that's gotten huge attention in the last few years, especially since uh, Google published the results of Project Aristotle. And the, the uh, term, uh, I first learned it from Amy Edmondson, I believe she's the one who coined it. Now, interestingly, I recently heard a podcast where she said it, she actually gave a terrible name. And she, she wished that she uh, had used a different name, that she set the whole industry back by years. Because there's no way that when people say psychological safety, it sounds like something soft and, and fuzzy. But, and she says maybe a better description is um, a per felt permission to take interpersonal risks, uh, which is the ability to raise things and, and even maybe a bit of an obligation to raise differing points of view to add more to the conversation. And, and I think this is the element in which we all believe that culture and psychological safety are important because when we ask people, what's the best way to make a decision as a group, what's the value of having a group at all? And they said, well, it's the, it's the diversity of opinion. It's the diversity of experience. It's bringing what everyone knows 
uh, into the conversation to get the best result. So everyone believes that already. Uh, the problem is they don't know how to achieve that in practice, except for by luck. And I, and I don't mean to dismiss luck. Luck is fantastic. If you can be lucky, I recommend being lucky. But if you're not being lucky, then it's, I think it's useful to know that there are skills you can learn that uh, could substitute for that luck and you could start building the culture and psychological safety that you'd like to have. And I just want to underline something there, which is that the uh, th this this is a skill we're talking about. And when people talk about oh that fluffy stuff, that cultural stuff, you know, some people probably went off and got a coffee. They said, oh man, you know, we're, we want to hear more about AWS well-architected designs, which is a fantastic thing. That's a, that was fascinating to listen to. And and it, I don't want to hear this fluffy stuff, but I just want you to think about it a little bit differently, because. Uh, what happened some years ago is we decided that maybe it would be good if we treated all that infrastructure stuff as first-class elements of building software. And instead of saying it's, oh, some other operations team somewhere far away over there, it's their job, we should make that part of what we do. We should say that the operations team and the developers are, oh, we could call that DevOps. What a great idea. And uh, we, by treating something that wasn't previously a first-class element of our work as an important element that we could work on and that we could improve, we got better. And the argument we're making today is that you can make your conversations better and your culture better, and you can actually make that a first-class part of your, uh, of your actions, uh, first-class part of what you do. And, and that's a bold claim. Right. You should be you should be doubting that just the same way that I doubted, you know, oh, those operations people. Why would I ever want to talk to them? Like, why would they be interesting? Uh, do they have something that turns out, lo and behold, there's tremendous value you can get from that. And, and we all have seen it. We're making the same claim for something that you have probably said, oh, I can't do anything about that. I can't do anything about this crazy boss who has these impossible deadlines. I can't do anything about my team who are just not motivated. I can't do anything about uh, uh, the fire that we had last week that nobody anticipated uh, in the in the French data center. You know, no, nobody had the psychological safety to bring that up. I can't do anything about that. If you believe that, then you should go get the coffee because because we can't help you. But we're inviting you to not believe that. We're inviting you to to think about skills that you could develop just the way that I, a, a developer, developed some skills in understanding how to operate software systems, and, and that helped me to be better, you could develop skills in improving your culture. The kind of thing that people complain about all the time and say, oh, I can't do anything about it. We're giving you a way to do something about it. And if people I think disagree, that's, like, uh, again, we'd, we'd love to get this in the, in the comments. Like people, exactly. In the, yeah. In the, in the, please, you know, challenge us or if, or if questions, you know, we'd love to, to hear, hear different points of view. And Johan will be picking and, and we those like up. watching the chat. Exactly. Yeah. We, li we like questions in the middle. So don't wait till the end because we'd rather hear your questions and arguments. So I hope I've provoked at least one of you to say, that's, that's baloney. You can't do anything about that. I've tried for years. It's impossible. So give us an example. We'd like to hear it. I really uh, like the thing you're saying because you said like we probably have we have probably lost some of the odds now it became fluffy or vague and <laughs> now we're talking about cultural things and we can all sense that there are some things that's wrong but it feels out of our control and it's so vague and where are the numbers and the hardcore facts but I'm now going to make a promise on behalf of Jeffrey and Squirrel because I know they are so awesome. Before this session is over, you will have concrete things, actionable things that you can bring back to your teams and start doing later this day or tomorrow. Even though we feel Absolutely. like these are so fluffy, there will be something actionable for you that can simply just be 
thinking a different way or doing something concretely that will start you on this journey towards uh, achieving a higher degree of interpersonal trust on your teams, higher degrees of psychological safety, uh, culture, all those kind of things. And I will not provide those that are bold claims. I'm the expert. <laughs> well, but those bold are bold claims. claims that Johan's making on our behalf and, and, and valid ones. So, so that's certainly true. But I want to give a caveat. We've been saying fluffy and soft and so on, which is what people often refer to. Our, our good friend Mark Coleman likes to say that these are really, and he uses a bad word here, freaking hard skills. Uh, mm. th th these are very, very difficult. Um, and he's right. It, it takes you time to learn to do this. Just the same as, you know, when I first touched AWS, I messed it up and broke servers and, and brought systems down and so on. I had to learn. So it's the same process. Learning is uh, difficult and painful and sometimes horrible. So well, I'm not suggesting that these will be easy things that we're going to ask you to do. They won't require that much in terms of material. Pen and paper is all you really need, and the ability to fold things in half. We'll, we'll get to that, I'm sure. But uh, the, the, the psychological um, challenge for you will be significant. But if you're willing to put in some effort, and I'm not suggesting like rocket science, but it's like learning a, a, a good game of tennis or learning to play the piano. If you put in that level of effort, you can get, progress on the things that are driving you bananas that you think you can't right now. That's the promise. So now we should try delivering on that. I, I think I think we should just go directly into like step number one. Yeah. So people could exactly. do this now. Uh, you, you heard so you need uh, you, you know, need paper. Yeah. And uh, uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, so then, then you need advanced folding skills, which is to fold the paper in half uh, so that you have two columns. So if you've mastered if you've mastered the the, uh, the vertical fold, then you're all set. Excellent. With those two Anybody columns, horizontally fold, you, you, you failed. But you can try again. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so you get yourself two columns. Now, people will say, "Can I do this uh, on a spreadsheet? Can I do this in a Word document?" Absolutely, anything will give you two columns. What you cannot do is do it in your head. You need to actually be able to get this out of your head. That's a key step. So then, what you're going to do is think of a conversation, or that either maybe it could be a conversation you had. And in, in the intro, we heard about you know bringing all these people together and all the fighting. Maybe it was a fight. More likely, you know, my experience, it was a it was a conversation where there was not fighting. It was just something you, you were frustrated that didn't seem to be going anywhere. It was probably, uh, uh, if not frustrating, maybe it was boring. Like, why are we talking about this so much when it's obvious that there we're goes not that Jeffrey right again? Anyway. He's he's always going on about this stuff. I can't believe it. Why is he bringing it up again? <laughs> That would be a good one. So something that you were yeah, exactly. So something you're frustrated, and it, that frustration may have been external, but I'm more likely it was internal. And this could even be uh, a conversation that you haven't had yet. Uh, uh, so a situation that's frustrating to you, and you know you what you really would like to address it with this person, but you're not sure how. So that that conversation that you've been dreading or putting off, that's also valid. So think of that conversation, and then what you do is on the right hand side, you're going to write down. The, the conversation in the sort of they said, I said format. You know, they said this, I said that, uh, and back and forth. Now, you'll notice that this is relatively well, Jeffrey, small there's a terrible problem. I, I, I can't remember my conversation very well. I guess I can't do this. I'll have to sit it out. And the, nope, that's no excuse. Uh, um, you're doing oh. this. Uh, you're, you're getting this stuff written down so it's out of your head because you're, you'd like to sort of offset some of the cognitive biases you have that impact your conversations. And the good news is that when you go to generate, you know, from memory and a, an imperfect memory or generate a future conversation, your cognitive biases are still with, with you. So you will still create the same kind of mistakes in your remembered, you know, partially remembered dialogue or your 
fictitious dialogue that you will make in the real conversation because you are still you, you're still human, you still have these cognitive biases. So you're going to be recording your conversation on the right. And you see, it's not very big. So we're not saying if you talk to someone for an hour, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the, the sort of where's the juice in the conversation? Where are the key elements, the critical elements? Maybe the, maybe the places where things started to go wrong early on are a good place to start. So you might just, this you can be as, as little as two lines of dialogue. You might have maybe four or six, but not too many. And just do that. And, and I think in, in the course of the talking, uh, I, I can see school writing array, maybe Johan as well. And then what you'll I'm end up a, with- I'm already done. I, I right, already have mine written that, down. That's how long it takes. Oh, so you've, it's not taking very long. And you've gone ahead because you, you, I see you've done things in t both columns. After you have the, the right-hand column, yeah. after, you, after you have the dialogue, then you'll move to the left-hand column. And here is where you, if the, the right-hand column is where the external voice is, it's where things that would show up on a video camera. On, on the left is stuff that only shows up on like a, uh, fMRI. You know, it's only, it's, this is only the stuff that's in your head, your thoughts and feelings. And the key part is only your thoughts and feelings. So what you're thinking in response to what they say, what you're thinking as you're speaking, and you write those down on the left-hand side. That, that, and, that, uh, that, that, there is an exception. If, if there are any telepaths in the audience, you can write what the other person was thinking, but you already knew that I would say that. So didn't, didn't need to include that. But if you're, if you're not telepathic, and that should be probably most of you, then you can only write down what you were thinking and feeling because you can't know what the other person thought. And, 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 that's, and, and that's it. That's step one. And I, I'd like to actually just stop there for a minute and say, so what's the first thing you can do is record your conversation. And now, to, uh, to you know, so it's coming up here. There's going to be four R's that we're going to talk through. Um, uh, and they are uh, record, uh, reflect, revise, role pay. And then you might also repeat and uh, role reversal. So there's, there's, there's six four R's. But anyway, the four R's, we'll go through those. But the first thing you can do here is record the conversation. And it doesn't take very long. And I, I just... And, I just want yeah, to yeah. add that all this information, this these golden nuggets, I'm sure that uh, that uh, you will put or have already put somewhere, so you can just focus on the the nice storytelling, and uh, <laughs> you have on your website or so somewhere like a brief guide to to this uh, one pager or something all, that we can uh, all, link all to over converse like that. All over conversationaltransformation.com. So we'll we'll include that yes. in many places. It's in my profile and, and other places. So if you if you just find us, you'll you'll find lots of that material. And of course, it's also and of in course it's perfect. <laughs> and and yep. you should read that. <laughs> As you were, <laughs> we we should carry on explaining because people probably are thinking, what good was this? I'm I hope most of you actually did it. But we we find that people have resistance to doing it. But you may be wondering. How is this going to help me with the the annoying boss I have and the in, in, in insane deadlines and and the the fire in the the data center? How, how, what good is this? Yeah, well, this it's a good, great question, and I, I'll just say for people who have done it, um, it, it, we I run and, and we run practice sessions like this all the time, including public free ones you can sign up uh, from our website. We have a meetup that runs twice a month. In fact, there's a session tonight. Uh, where I'll be doing a free conversational dojo uh, where people will do this conversational analysis. And what's very, very common is that every stage of the four R's, including this record, we ask people, Are, do you have any aha moments just from what you've done so far? And it's extremely common that just this act of recording the conversations and looking at it, people go, oh, 
<laughs> I I had no idea I was doing that. I had I I, I can't believe I I said that. And in, in the reason this this happens comes back to these cognitive biases that uh, in when we're in a conversation we uh, have the illusion that we're in the same conversation with the other person that that we're in other words that we are both hearing the same thing that uh, and that but the th fact is that's not true. In in fact, I'll go a little bit further. In general. People are unaware of what they're saying in a conversation. What you're much more in tune to is what you're thinking and feeling. And then words come out of your mouth that in your mind relate to what you're thinking and feeling. Um, however, to the listener, they, they don't have that context to your thoughts and feelings. So they only hear the words. And it turns out the words by themselves are generally very, very different than the words with the thoughts and feelings. And I, I like to make an analogy between an experiment that people ran. Uh, they, they asked some people to tap out a tune on a table. So they had, they had uh, uh, tappers and they had listeners. And they asked the tappers to tap out a tune. And then they'd ask uh, uh, the, the, the guessers to, to sort of guess the tune. But before they did, they'd ask the tappers, how likely it is that you think that the guessers will guess correctly? And the, the, the tappers were wildly over-optimistic about the likelihood of the guessers guessing. And the reason is because the tappers could only hear the taps, which was not very, didn't communicate very much information. I think the, the guess rate was something like 5%. Whereas the, the tappers didn't hear just the tapping, they heard the music in their head. So they, they heard the tapping and the music, and that's very, very different. So um, you, you may have experienced someone singing along while wearing headphones. And of course, their experience is very different than yours as someone who's hearing just their singing. And that's, and that's what is when we're in a conversation, we are, we are uh, uh, just singing with our own headphones on, listening to our, to our thoughts and feelings. And it's only then when we externalize it, when we get it outside of our head and we separate what we were thinking and feeling from what we actually said, that's very often the first time we become aware of the words we actually used. That's the first time we learned what we actually said, because we were so caught up and our memory is so bound up with what we were thinking and feeling that we were unaware of what we were actually communicating. Instead, we were, we were thinking of what we intended to communicate, what we had in mind. And that's the problem that was in mind and not in words. And so that, that's why even if you did nothing else but this one step of recording the conversation, I would say we've met Johan's promise that you have something you can do today that you can try with your teams today. And in fact, this is a great exercise to have a team talk about a scenario, everyone do this exercise, and then just share what, what it was in the, on their page. What, what did they have in their left-hand columns that didn't come out in the actual conversation? And the team can get a ton out of just that simple exercise. And again, I'll just point out again that this should feel like, first of all, it should feel kind of strange. Why are we suddenly looking at this in the middle of a DevOps conference? But then remember the first time, whichever side you're on, if you if you started your life as a developer like I did, or if you started on the operations side, as a lot of my friends have, and, and you first started to learn about what the other people were doing, it probably seemed very strange. I remember the first time I looked at Chef or Puppet or one of those, and I said, boy, this is completely weird, but boy, is it really useful to suddenly start to understand this area. So uh, in, inviting you to uh, think about it in that way. What, what are we bringing you that could solve a problem that you have that you have thought is insoluble, that is just uh, unapproachable un, um, in any way? And I claim 
that there are problems that you're seeing today, like lack of psychological safety, that you can solve in this way, that these tools will help you with. All right. I'm going to move on to step two for the people who are up for that and following along at home. We would move on to the reflect step. And this is where you start to build your skills of conversation, uh, which is to become, uh, just to, in the reflect step, we will choose some tool to examine our conversation. Now, this step, the, re the record step is always the same, um, but the reflect step varies based on what we are intending to do. So in the book, we have a chapter of kind of the foundationals, uh, foundations of conversation. We talk about transparency and curiosity, and we give one sort of reflection exercise there. And then we talk about five different conversations, the trust conversation, the fear conversation, the why conversation, the commitment conversation, and the accountability conversation. And each of those Good five memory. chapters, plus the introduction, we, we have six different ways of reflection that we give you there. And there's more beyond that. In, in the uh, um, conversational dojos that we've run in the, through the meetup, we've talked about a bunch of other conversational tools as well, nonviolent communication, the LEAP method, uh, speaking with your ear, a bunch of other elements. So you can bring in different tools depending on what you want to work on. The foundation one we would use, we just say, well, let's check for curiosity and transparency. So we would get our, our pen and, and to reflect on what we've done. And I like to switch to a red pen at this point. And then what I'll do is on the right-hand column, I will circle all of my question marks. Because what I'm looking for is, was I curious? And if I'm not asking questions, I probably wasn't very curious. But I have a Jeffrey, next step. I, I think this. I failed this step. I, I don't have any question marks. <laughs> That's very common. So uh, um, so we'll say, okay. That, that, very easy to circle all of them because there aren't any. Didn't take very long. Now, now what we'll do though is now we're going to have a, a, we'll want a bit more because sometimes there's a conversation where there's lots of questions but we're not actually very curious because while we're using questions, they're not genuine questions. They're not arising from curiosity. Uh, yes, Squirrel, would Jeffrey, you like to give us an example? I, I, yeah, I've, I was just going to do that. I, I, I was wondering if we, if we should go into that in more depth. Don't you think that would be a good idea? <laughs> yeah, so these, 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 this is not actually a, a question, uh, Squirrel's saying. It's actually, he's, he's making a statement disguised as a question. So what we do is we create a fraction. And what we'll do with our fraction is the number of questions where we were really curious. And what we mean by curious is the question, the answer to the question we're asking might change our mind. So not just gathering facts, but um, something that we might plausibly have us, lead us to have a different opinion uh, compared to the total number of questions. We end up with a fraction. So if I had one genuinely curious question out of three, I would have a fraction of one over three. Um, uh, the one I had here, is, like, uh, like squirrel. Yeah, zero, zero over zero. zero. Perfect. Yes, exactly. No questions. Very common. How are you, Jeffrey and I have uh, been studying this for years. So if, if and we advocate asking questions all the time, these are real dialogues that actually happen, which we didn't ask questions. So, so that means that these are hard skills to, to master, as we were saying, and you should expect that you have constant need for correction and improvement, which is why this kind of repeated practice can be very helpful to increase the number of questions you ask. The, the, the next up, we look for transparency. And the left-hand side, where you have your thoughts and feelings, underline any thoughts or feelings that you didn't share. And uh, uh, so if you shared it even partially, like with, with different words, I would give yourself credit and not underline it. So you might have thought, that's a stupid idea. But if you said, you know, I have some concerns, fine. 
you know, that, that you're at least broaching the subject. But, it, but if you were thought, that's a stupid idea, and externally you said, okay, like, yeah, definitely underline it. And then Doesn't what count. we're going to do then is, so I've, I've is we'll compare. Here. Yeah. And, and what we can do now is sort of say, um, you know, reflecting on this, uh, having done this kind of uh, scoring, uh, this particular tool, which is testing for transparent curiosity, you'd say, well, anything on the left that's underlined, I wasn't transparent. If I'm not asking questions, I'm not very curious. If I'm not being transparent and I'm not being curious, I'm really not living up to the idea of what an effective conversation would be where I said what we want is everyone participating, getting everything everyone knows in the conversation. So I should try to do better. And that brings us to the next step, which is the third R, which is to revise. And of course, even here, having scored it, this is again, people often have ahas, like, oh my gosh, I, I'm not, turns out I'm not saying what I'm thinking. I'm frustrated in this conversation, wondering why they don't do anything different. But I realize I'm not actually sharing that I'm frustrated or that I want something different than what's happening. Um, so the revise step, what we do is now uh, look back at our conversation and think, in this case, because we're, we're, we're focusing on transparency and curiosity, try to revise our dialogue. How could we have been more curious? How could we have been more transparent? So, uh, and, and for there, we will now try to write it out. And this is where repeat might come in because after we write out our new version, it's important to go back and soar it and test, did we actually succeed? As it's not uncommon for people to write something out, but they actually did not improve their uh, their, their 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 score. Have you uh, have you so finished your revision already, Scroll? I have indeed. I have practiced this before. Um, but what I'm doing is uh, crossing out something I said and saying something different, which has a question in it. That then I'll improve my score, so I can tell that I've uh, I've made an improvement. And I may want to repeat that further because this probably isn't a great question. I did it pretty quickly. And, and this but is and what this you is don't have to do is revise the entire dialogue. It can be quite a brief change. That's right. You can choose any any part of it. Usually recommend early on. Yeah, Johan. Uh, we just have an excellent question because I think this is key in the chat. Uh, Christian Bernard is saying, "Can you concentrate on the conversation if you're doing all this during the discussion?" My mind would wander away from listening. I think. So I think <laughs> uh, you can address that. Yeah, that's a, it's, a great, it's a great question. It, what, what I would say is that this you're going to build your skills in practice sessions outside of your conversations. Um, and and it's, it, what you're building is this skill. And as you get better at the skill, then you're better able to handle things that come up in real time. So it's the, it's, if you think about um, uh, any sort of sport, any, any sort of skill, you know, you, you have your practice and performance, you know, sort of uh, if you're a, a concert pianist, you'll have your <laughs> your practice sessions, then your your performance, or you know, your, your you build your skills, then you go in for your improv session. That's maybe maybe jazz improv is a better analogy, but you'll only be able to produce in the performance things that you've practiced offline. You have to develop the skills offline, and then you're able to handle the situations that come up. So you're right; it's 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 too it's too much. What you can do, and what you might do, is find a pattern or something was simple, and say, "What's one thing I can do in the next minute conversation?" Uh, and, uh, and for example, it could be simple as I'm going to ask a question. I want to make sure that I ask a question <laughs> and I want to make sure I ask a question that might change my mind. I'll even give you one. Here, here's a good example. If you're in a conversation and you think the other people are wrong, you might say, uh, you know, I'm, I, I don't have the same opinion. And I'm curious, what did you see that led you to think that? 
And that's it. That's a kind of a generic, all-purpose, curious question, you know, and acknowledging the other person may have information you don't have. And, and if they come back with information that's new to you, that's something that might plausibly change your mind. And, uh, and so that's, this is something that is a, uh, developing that kind of uh, canned uh, go-to question and having it ready uh, uh, can really help when you go into a, a, a conversation that you expect will be difficult um, and, and so you, you're ready to go. And I just want to strengthen that for, for Christian. I just want to really underline how important it is to do the practice. And I'll, I'll make an analogy, say, to surfing. And if you watch people who are learning to surf, they don't go out in the ocean to start with. You start with a board on the beach and you stand on the board and you learn how to stand on the board and move your legs around. And then you go out in the, in the water and you fall off the board immediately. Then you come back to the beach and you stand on the board and you learn how to, how to do it. It's the same sort of thing. Just like you also wouldn't go to a production server and start uh, editing the configuration files. You would say, wait a minute, I, I, I better go try this on uh, a dev development environment. All the same sort of thing. So Christian's exactly right. This is why these are really freaking hard skills. This is not something that you can just master overnight and just say, aha, great, now I know all the, the answers. You can improve a little bit, but if you want to get good at it, it requires practice. And that's exactly what we're giving you is a method of practice that will allow you to say, well, the last conversation, I did this, I want to improve better. Next time, I won't fall off the board this way, I'll fall off a new way. But of course, the crucial thing is you do have to get wet. You do have to actually go and try it. <laughs> Mental effort does not, does not do it for you. So anybody who hasn't written on the paper yet, you still can catch up with us. So uh, grab your paper, fold it in half, write the conversation. I promise you this will make a significant difference in your culture and in your uh, uh, improvement in your team. So it's, so it's really common for people who get into this revised step. They, they go write it out, and then uh, they look at it, and they say, realize, okay, it's actually not any better. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't actually more transparent. I didn't – my question was not genuine. And then you have this, this – uh, repeat. So you go kind of go in a cycle until you've written out some revision that you seem pretty happy with. Now you're ready for the final step, the uh, fourth R, which is to role play. And ideally you have someone who you can work with. Uh, if you need to, and you need to do that uh, yourself, you might role play with a mirror, less effective, better to have a real person. But still what you want to do is practice saying the words out loud, because these are going to be uh, new skills, and probably what you wrote out is something that's not really the way that you speak. In fact, you, you quite likely write something that the way that no one speaks. So you, you, again, this is a chance to practice and say, how would I feel saying this? Does it sound like something I could say? Maybe I need to modify the wording and the language to be more natural for me. Uh, and there's often an aha here again where people say, yeah, no, actually, I don't like the way that sounds. I liked it on paper, but saying it out loud, I, I don't like. And that's also where the last... The sixth 4R comes in, which is the role reversal. If, ideally, if you have a friend, you can have them say it back to you. Uh, and, the, and the idea here is, it might be something I'm comfortable saying, but once I hear it said back to me, I don't like it so much. Like, ooh, actually, that sounds kind of harsh. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like the way that feels. I wouldn't want someone saying that to me. And so again, a chance to repeat and come up with language that um, uh, it brings in your transparency, brings in your curiosity, brings in your desire to both share and to learn. And, and this, uh, you think, is be productive towards generating um, creative conflict. And I, and I want to point here this. I'm actually, we're actually, our goal here is to generate conflict, but we want it to be productive conflict, which is a conflict that generates new ideas as opposed to unproductive conflict between people, right? When we, when we can all get our ideas and information bouncing together off each other, 
in a, in a good teamwork, you've probably all had the experience where, yes, there are different opinions, and, and, and in talking them through and talking to the differences, you come up with new ideas. That's very productive. There's conflict there because there's disagreement, but it's been, but it's been hardest uh, effectively towards solving the problem. And that happens when we're sharing our thoughts and feelings, when, when we're, you know, we have that psychological safety to uh, uh, felt permission for candor to share what we really believe. And when everyone's putting what they really believe in, and everyone's uh, listening and taking that on board. That's where this uh, a dynamic, exciting, fun culture comes from, which for me is the motivation to do all of this in the first place, because that uh, sort of uh, exciting collaboration is, uh, is like a peak professional experience. And, uh, and that's it. Those are four R's. And um, uh, now you can all just practice that and... Uh, you have you have a skills that you can work to work on today, and we've delivered on on Johan's bold promise. But he thank you for not making for me us. look bad. <laughs> <laughs> we try. This is fantastic, and I'd say that I read and I really enjoyed your your book, and uh, I did not practice at all. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had the privilege of becoming, uh, taking part in one of your conversational dojos and actually practicing these uh, skills, like this this method. And yeah. uh, that's a completely different experience. And having the the book and being aware of things and being able to perhaps see a bit more than I was able to see before, but not having done, put in the effort uh, because that's I'm, uncomfortable. I'm really nervous. It takes discipline. Yeah, I'm oh, nervous. Why are you nervous? I'm just, I'm just talking to you about it. Exactly. When people tell us they enjoy the book, what it means is I read it but didn't do the, the work. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the, the people who do the work say, gosh, that was hard. It, that took me a lot longer to get through the book than I expected. You had these exercises and I went to go do them and it was uncomfortable. The people who enjoyed it, they're like, oh, that was a really pleasurable read. I really like those ideas. Yeah, those other people should do these things. <laughs> Thank you for calling me out. And <laughs> I think what actually what resonates with me is that we get a language or vocabulary to be able to talk about these things, these sensations. You talked about the cues right? When you're uh, frustrated or you're bored, that sh you should yep. take that as a cue that something is off, that you want to, to poke around in and see what, is, what does this feel here? But until you know that it is a cue and not just noise, then, then you will not be able to see it and, and even act or reflect whether by a structured method like your four R's or anything, it will just be uh, an unproductive sense of uh. <laughs> and, and that I, sense of uh is exactly what so many people feel and I, I i one of the reasons we wrote the book is we got so frustrated with so many books that tell you how to diagnose in great detail all the things that are going wrong with your team or how to do a set of rituals oh we'll have our stand-ups and we'll do our kanban and we'll do these different steps and these will uh, and we'll co-locate our teams all of those are great ways to encourage yourself to get lucky there and it may be that you get lucky as jeffrey says that that's one method of having success in your team but the problem is they give you no recovery methods they give you nothing to do if the the get lucky 
process doesn't work and they have no theory behind uh, why any of those methods would work. So they just simply say, well, teams that are good seem to do this. So you try it and see if it works. And, and uh, I got so frustrated with so many uh, both books that say that and people who would then say, well, you know, you can't do anything about this. This just this is just how it is. And just you know, doing all the right are. steps. Yeah. The, and yeah. There's, there's nothing. This is, this, this is the problem is this team. You know, you know, score the problem is that these people we have, they just don't get it. Can you help yep. us like fix, you know, uh, get new people because these people don't get it. <laughs> The, the problem is that when you do that, and I've done that as a consultant, I bring in the new people and the new people aren't any better because the situation is the same. The dynamics come out the same way um, that you haven't solved the cultural problem and you get exactly the same results. The, and, and a lot of us have just become jaded to that. We think that there's nothing we can do about it. So we're, we're making this extremely bold claim. And, and I, I want to ask everybody who's listening to us, no matter whether you believe us or not, whether or not you wrote anything on the paper, the next time somebody says, well, it's just this team, you know, well, bosses are just like that. Well, you know, nobody's ready for DevOps. These big organizations, they just can't possibly adopt it. Please at least tell them that they listened to some crazy people who told you that you could, whether or not you believed it. <laughs> And send them to us because um, I, I, uh, there, there is somebody who is crazy enough to say these things are first class elements of our uh, uh, development and our software and that we should do something about it. And there's concrete things we can do. And, and, and so I just say for me, this is exciting to talk about this at the Please. DevOps concert. And I just there's a conference because for me, my whole career has been about trying to make development better. It's been trying to re reduce suffering in the context of software development. So I used to work on cruise control, which the you know old people in the audience might remember as that thing that existed before Hudson, which was the thing before Jenkins, which was the thing before Circle CI, or you know, so if, with the, the, there's the, 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 the space has exploded. And I, and I got involved in that because I really had a strong belief about how tools could make things better. Uh, and then uh, the problem is that people would use the tools, but the situation wouldn't be better. And then I and then I got very much into uh, methodology, and uh, uh, I would I organized a conference called KitCon. Uh, um, DevOps uh, started, and I was uh, talking to people about how to have these these processes that would lead to better outcomes, and that people would adopt the processes, and they'd still suffer. And it's about looking to say like, what is the what's going on here that the tools and the processes don't fix things. And it, it came down to the people. And so what can we do about the people element? What can I personally do? What can you personally do? What can we do as individuals that doesn't require the, the CEO to change the company? We don't, that I, I don't need the executive team to come up with a new mission statement. What's something that I can do where I am? And that's really what excites me about this element about conversations is that I can look at myself and say, look, I'm not happy with the way things are going. I'm suffering. I'm frustrated in this way. And now here are some tools that I can use to start addressing it. To me, that's extremely exciting. And that's, that's the, the, the message that I would like for people to have is that, you know, you don't need to feel trapped. And it doesn't matter where you are in the organization. I, I, I uh, scrolling often work with executives and executives are just as likely to feel trapped. Uh, and, uh, and it's like, oh, uh, you know, when, when you're a worker, you can go and you can do things, you can get stuff done. As an executive, I can't, get, I can't do anything. I have, I have no control. Yeah, uh, everyone feels frustrated and everyone feels that the, the power is somewhere else. And uh, uh, our experience is that actually you have tremendous power within you to make changes when you can learn how to have effective conversations. I think uh, this point here that teamwork is an individual skill 
and it's something that you can practice. <laughs> I think just that point in itself is uh, worth the entire conversation. You're just sparking again so many uh, different thoughts and notes, and I promise you we will not be able to cover them all because we have also gotten some excellent questions in chat. And uh, I don't remember who started the first question here about being remote, but I will also just read what uh, Oli Sibonen is, is writing in the chat because he's saying, seems to be a very important topic also during the time of instant messaging where people substitute spoken conversations with flow of text without actually thinking what they're typing. But as we have concluded that people are not even thinking about what they're saying, uh, I think we can uh, address this together. And earlier, sure. I, well, unfortunately, I didn't note who asked this question, but what are the things that we can do to build psychological safety and a more healthy culture when we are remote? So I'd like mm. some well, thoughts in, in that area of... I'll do the first one. Uh, maybe I'll uh, invite Jeffrey to do the second one. Uh, I have my thoughts there too. But the first one about um, how, how do you uh, deal with the, the fact that so many people are using text all the time and, and Slack and messaging and, and everything else. There's one advantage, I'll say a good thing about it before I really rag on it and tell you why I think it's terrible. Um, but a really good thing is that um, uh, producing dialogues and doing analyses is much simpler. You can cut and paste. I actually know what I said. So the, the question of not remembering what you said or not quite understanding what you wrote, uh, what, what you what you put uh, put out in the world, you, you don't have that problem. So that is an advantage of a of written communication. Pretty much everything else doesn't work as well. So what I'm uh, very frequently counseling do when they come to me as I'm coaching them um, uh, to, to, to change their di dynamic is the first thing is get on the phone. And that could be the physical phone. Remember these old things where you, you don't get to see the people um, or what we're doing today on, on video. But you want higher bandwidth uh, because the advantage of higher bandwidth is there's more information and um, you have more opportunities to, to read what the other person is uh, thinking and, and saying um, and, and to check in about it. So I'd say, Jeffrey, you look red in the face and you pounded on the table a couple of times. I think you might be angry. Is that right? And have the opportunity to verify that. Whereas um, um, Squirrel, you're completely wrong in text might be said very calmly or angrily or something else. So, so that's not um, uh, terribly new. I, I think what, what we can add to that knowledge. I think you guys all know that high bandwidth is better. What, what, what we can add there is that um, if you have a structured approach to improvement, um, remote can actually be an opportunity to um, have, have more or less friction for uh, the interactions. So um, it, it's easier to jump on a call with someone, for instance, if they're in some faraway country or some faraway building, um, that can be a barrier uh, in person. I remember when um, my first company, we had two floors and uh, it seemed very difficult to get to the second floor, the other floor. Um, it was walking up a few stairs, but people didn't want to do it. Now, uh, every communication has a, approximately the same um, cost. So uh, that can make it a little easier to, to get to high bandwidth, but you have to want to. And it's very easy to um, hide behind um, the easier thing which doesn't lead to improvement as, as often, which is, uh, oh, I'll just uh, shoot off a quick Slack message. So um, that, that's uh, one response. Jeffrey may see it differently and may want to take the, the other part of it, the more broad question about how do we do this when we're remote? Yeah, I'll, I'll say building psychological safety um, when we're remote is actually very similar to building psychological safety in person. But what you do lack are some of the affordances that help you get lucky. So when when you're in person, humans are social beings, uh, and we will tend to 
um, in many cases, but not always, build up an affinity for other people. Uh, we're in the room, we can read them, we, we, we become comfortable. We probably, the most important thing we do is we talk to people outside of meetings. You know, we talk to them uh, on, on the way to get coffee. We talk to them, you know, uh, after work. I'm in, the, in London, so we we're probably at the pub. And, and we, we build a relationship uh, apart from the point of conflict that then we bring in to allow us to have that conversation. And that's what I think the most difficult sort of accidental psychological safety building that happens when we're remote. Now, that doesn't happen when we're remote. Now, you can go in and try to, to build that in, in some ways remote. Um, however, I think you can also do better because just like that, that approach of getting lucky doesn't always work in person. You don't always get that rapport. Uh, but what we can do instead is, is take a, a, a more informed approach to, well, what is it we want as the outcome and how do we make it discussable? You know, um, and, and, and that's something that these skills that we're talking help you with because you start to be learn to be transparent. Like, I would like everyone to contribute what they know. I think it's important that if we're going to have the best decision that we have all the information. Um, I have a view on this, but I also know there could be things that I don't know. <laughs> and and in, this, in this way, I'm using what Amy Emmonson would call framing. I'm framing the situation in a way that invites contribution. Uh, I'm framing this as a joint process uh, where collaboration is the way forward. Um, none of us have all the information. Uh, we all have our own view. And uh, we should start by trying to get a level playing field. Let's try to share what we all know. And we, we should expect that we'll have different opinions. That's part of the value of having multiple people is that with, even with the same data, we get different opinions. And we should look at this as an opportunity instead of a threat. And it's not enough just to believe this. The important part for building psychological safety, especially when you're wrote, is to take these implicit ideas and make them explicit, to say them aloud, <laughs> to test them with the group and say, well, if we want that, do we all want this kind of outcome? Do, do we want to have a team that where we're each collaborating what we know? Or do we think it's better to have partial information? Uh, uh, you know, and and the, the great thing there. about being remote is, is it sort of forced all of us to think in those terms. So uh, I think that on, on balance, the pandemic's been very difficult for all kinds of reasons. But one thing it has forced us to do is to reconsider what the heck we're doing. What does it mean for us to have a stand-up every morning? What should we be doing in that stand-up? Is it actually useful? Should we be doing something else? Should we be interacting with each other differently? And uh, we might not have asked those questions if we were just plowing along doing what we used to do. Suddenly we've all been forced to go home and we've uh, had to think about what we might do differently. So I think this is a great kind of historical opportunity to shift the, the discussion in your team and to suddenly bring up topics like how do we collaborate? What's the best way for us to get the information on the table? You, you do have an opportunity to do it. You would have to have difficult conversations. You might want to write a dialogue about it so that you can understand how to bring that up in your team. That's the sort of thing that, that uh, if, if uh, even just a few of you did that, I think we'd have a great victory as a result of this uh, this talk. We have so many excellent questions in the chat, and we're nowhere have enough time to get them. But I think um, one that touches a bit of mindset is Yuha, who is writing, this is mostly concentrating on the output of the message or on instant messaging. Any thoughts how we can improve interpreting the message or require to understand the message as the sender means it? And I perhaps you could address some of the mindset or things that, that this question contains. 
It's an excellent question. Do you want that one, Jeffrey, or should I? I'll, I'll do a short version, and maybe you'd want to expand on it. I'll, I'll say I think the, the first place, even what we just discussed about it, is that idea of curiosity. Um, and uh, so I think just you can just start with there. That's kind of the core skill. And and one of the, the, the first step of, of curiosity is actually it right there in, in the way you put it. How, how do I, I, here's, I want to know that I understood it in the way you intended it. Is it okay if I check with you and share my interpretation and you can tell me if I understood you correctly? So actually, that combination of transparency and curiosity works very well. Now, there are other particular skills that go further in this around empathy, uh, which you might get from, uh, say, uh, nonviolent communication or the LEAP method or things of that nature um, that get into other parts of active listening and those particular skills. But I would say uh, the foundational one comes still is this uh, idea of transparency and curiosity. I want to understand you correctly. Here's what I understood that to mean. Did I have that correctly? And, and I'll, if you'd uh, like to my, add my, to that. I, I would love to. Well, I'm, I'm going to uh, underline and, and add um, the, the uh, one of the best things that you can do to verify that you understood the other person is simply to say back to them what they said. And this is just a tremendously powerful exercise. We've done this with uh, executive groups, for example, where um, nobody had ever actually just said back to the CEO what they had heard. And that wasn't what the CEO meant. And that was tremendously useful for, for just that, that level of clarity. But I'll take it even further. There's a wonderful guy. And if you get a chance to watch his videos, I would, I would strongly encourage you. Uh, his name is Xavier Amador. And he works with uh, psych, um, uh, schizophrenics people who believe that there are people on the moon who are beaming um, uh, messages down to their neighbors to, to come and kill them. And, and they will tell you in great detail about the beams and where they're coming from. And, you know, when the phase of the moon is right, the beams, they'll give you the whole story. And he works with these people and gets them to take medicine that helps them to function better. Um, sometimes they still believe something's happening on the moon, but they're you know, no longer um, staying up all night trying to, to uh, deal with the aliens. So, um, he, he helps them. And one of the very first things he does, and this is tremendously difficult, it's very, very painful to do, is he repeats back to the person whatever the person said. And you would think this would be easy. I'm kind of like a tape recorder. I just remember what they said and I say it back to them. But if the person, I bet a lot of you could not, if you had to, repeat my little story about what was happening up in the sky that was causing this person to have difficulty. You wouldn't remember that it was the moon, that it was beams coming down to earth, that it was specifically at night, and that it was um, uh, people trying to kill you. Kill, kill the person. Those things are hard to remember, especially the part about uh, the particularly crazy bits. It's something on the moon. It's uh, that somebody's coming to kill you. Um, and, and he manages by dint of significant effort. This is a, a skill, again, a hard thing to learn to say back to them what they've said. And, and one of the things that I train people and teach people and coach people to do is to wait for the word exactly. And I'm sorry, I don't know it in, in languages like Finnish and Dutch and, and uh, Danish and so on. So I won't try to translate, but I'm sure you have a similar word. And uh, 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 Johan, if I were to, to say to you, Johan, I've understood that what you've said is you have so many questions that I can't possibly get to all of them. Is that right? Did I understand it correctly? Perfect. Perfect. Exactly. And there's an example. That's that's the exactly moment. That's when uh, I've, I've accurately summarized back what he said. And if he actually said, well, you know what? We don't have that many questions, but they're really long. So we have only a couple, but they're they're more complex. We might deal with that differently. Then that would not be the exactly moment. It would be useful because I would be learning better what feedback Johan has for me. And that's an example of the kind of tool that with practice, it's not 
trivial, especially if you're dealing with uh, schizophrenics, is very hard. So Amador is uh, extremely good at this, uh, and that's his leap method. Uh, uh, in whatever situation uh, uh, you, you might be in, being able to get to an exactly moment is the sort of tool that you develop by following exactly the process we've been describing. And it's a pre-planned action that you can then use. Ah, I'm going to wait for an exactly moment, and only when I've got my exactly, then I'm going to go on to propose some action. And this is very interesting to me, and I think we can get one or two more questions. But I, first, I want to dwell a bit on this, because the question you answered was not the question I thought you had, or the question I thought I was asking. Because Perfect example of and, possibly and not understanding the question. That's completely excellent. And so example. what I thought I was asking was, how can I, as the writer of a message require someone to understand the message as I mean it? Or how can I, I as, as the sender, because you gave excellent tips as how do I, as the recipient, what are the actions I can take to make sure that I have understood the message as the sender intended it? But I read the question as how can I, as the sender, mm. force the recipient to... Uh, to the read what hint. I mean and not, not the, misinterpret. The, the, hint, the hint is in your language. You can't force the other person. And this is painful. Humans are not very good at accepting that they don't know things or that they can't control their environment. But the harsh fact I have for you is you can't control the reaction of the other person. The other person may misinterpret is, what you have to say. And that is perfect because you has validated that I, of course, my assumptions were wrong and you answered his question perfectly. <laughs> So, uh, so, but your question is good ends, as well. It all ends but your well. question is good, Johan. But let's let's just deal with that for <laughs> just a moment, because if you're feeling that way, and this is a very common thing people say, is that well, now I've done all this work, and now I've kind of got my question exactly right, and I'm going to ask it. And what happens if they misunderstand it? That's normal, and that's expected. So, what you would want to do is uh, plan a pre-planned action, just the same way as if um, you you configure a server, you get it all set up and you're ready for it to run, and suddenly um, AWS decides to, to turn it off on you, which they sometimes do, right? Sometimes they just decide to end of life a server and it goes away. Well, you can't control that. You can't say, AWS, stop doing that to me. What you can do is plan some monitoring that allows you to spin up a new server to replace it, right? So you can do exactly the same thing. You can say, I'm going to be ready for misunderstanding of this question, and I can do things like, check, Jeffrey, uh, could you just say back to me what you, you said? Because I'm not sure I quite expressed it well. It, it, I just want to check you got it. Could, would you mind saying it back to me? That would be one way among many for verifying that uh, you have been understood correctly. That is fantastic. I will try to ask a small question or rather a very, very large question that you will have a very brief amount of time uh, we'll to, try. to uh, reply back on. Uh, Eva in the chat mentioned, how do you see the role as leader in fostering better conversations for teams, uh, whether that is an informal or formal leader? And do we have any examples of that being a success? Because we've talked a lot about how we as individual contributors can change the way that we do, but how can we create like the framework, the guardrails, the, the environment where, where, where we can get better conversations? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. I've got a fantastic example, which will actually point out how a leader helped, but anybody could have. So, and it's a, a good kind of finishing story for, for, for it kind of brings together a lot of the ideas. So I was in an executive group 
Uh, it was all the people leading a particular small company. And uh, they were going around the room and each one was saying, what, what are we going to do to launch this new product? And the salesperson said, I've got my people lined up. They're headed out. They have their material. It's all set. The marketing person said, the blogs are written. The content's out. I'm ready to tweet. We're all set. The product person said, yeah, we've tested the product. We understand what it is. We, uh, we're ready to go. The tech person said, the servers are up. The you know, We're ready for logins, ready to take payments. Everything's all ready to go. We got all the way around the table. We got back to the founder, and strangely, he'd been kind of staring out the window the whole time. We thought, what's the CEO doing? You know, why, is he, why is he looking out the window? And he said, you know, I just feel something's uncomfortable here. I don't know what it is, but there's something that bugs me about this product launch. And I, I, you know, Do any of you know what I'm talking about? Because I don't, but it just bugs me. And the salesperson said, well, I might. I mean, the thing is that none of our salespeople think this is going to sell. They, they think this is a bomb, and nobody's going to buy it. And the marketing person said, fine, you should say that because, you know, we tried a few test tweets and nobody clicked and the, the engagement was terrible. And it, it's, I'm not sure this works. And the product person said, yeah, you know, our initial tests, they really showed that nobody liked it. But you guys all said it was working. And the tech person said, sure. And we're not sure that actually the payments are going to work either. But we weren't too worried because uh, you guys all said it was working. It turned out everybody had the same level of concern, but no one had said anything because everybody looked at everyone else and said, boy, this looks okay. They're all saying it's all right. So I guess my little local problem is not important. What happened in that particular case is that the leader staring out the window picked up on this. He kind of got the sense that something wasn't quite right. He didn't know what. And in the end, we didn't launch the product because everybody was concerned about this uh, uh, for all kinds of different reasons. It wasn't a good idea. Uh, it, but it happened that he was the one staring out the window who pointed this out. And the point of the story is partly a leader can do that leaders are in a good position to stare out the window and notice something and um, make an uncomfortable statement, lead to a difficult conversation and uh, lead to a different outcome that's better. But it's not uh, incumbent on the leader. Any of us could have done that. I could have done that, right? Any of us who were sitting around that table could have taken that action. So uh, Ava uh, suggests that leaders certainly can contribute and they can be uh, exemplars for the organization in um, doing things in a new and different and better way. But um, uh, there's nothing that makes somebody inherently, formally the leader, the only one who can do it. You can do it too. Fantastic. And with that excellent answer to the question, this session is rounded off. Thank you so much for your contributions, uh, Squirrel uh, and Jeffrey. There is so much conversation on the chat. I hope that uh, everyone will take to Twitter and LinkedIn and reach out over and continue the excellent discussions. And there are so and much collaboration mention, in the chat. And I'll just mention that now, we're on conversationaltransformation.com. Conversationaltransformation.com is the best place to find us. Oh, agileconversations.com also works if you can re remember the name of the book. Or even if you just remember our names, douglasquirrel.com and jeffreyfrederick.com, those work too. So um, find us at any of those .coms and ask us more questions, the ones that we didn't get to here. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you can listen to our podcast. You can come to uh, the co uh, Conversational Dojo tonight. All the information is on those, uh, uh, on those links. Thank you, Squirrel. Jeffrey, any very last words from you? Uh, thanks where for having to find you. Looking or... forward to continuing the conversation. Uh, uh, find me at the dojo. We have also our Slack community. People want to uh, interact with us there. And uh, yeah, hope to hear from all of you soon. Thank you so much. 